Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Scott Linden here. Looking forward to chatting with you, at least uh, digitally, and uh, sharing some great information as we uh, traverse the uplands in search of, well, this week, chuckers, burns quail, and information from another industry insider on the state of the art when it comes to strap vests and pants for uplanders like you and me. Matt Davis will join us from Final Rise, uh, kind of an upstart company, been around for a couple, three years. You've probably seen some of their products, read about them. Incredible thought going into that stuff from a guy like us who really does want us to be more comfortable, more effective, and some interesting twists on the technology as well. Speaking of twists, we will talk about the less common forms of praise that I use with Flick that may be of value to you as well. And then you will give me your thoughts on empty shotgun shells in the field. Boy, did that get a lot of discussion. That might be the biggest, the most comments I've ever gotten on all of our social media. So I'll pick out some of the ones that will um, maybe get you to think twice about that sort of thing. It's all coming up in just a moment. We are brought to you by Hi-Viz Shooting Systems. See what you've been missing by Purina Pro Plan Sport by MidwayUSA.com, TrueLock Choke Tubes, Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, Pointer Shotguns, and Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. We are making progress. Yes, indeed. You know, I talk about it a lot and I am, I'm doing my best. And maybe you're at that point too. You know, whatever your goals for training your dog this season, uh, now is the time to kind of step up to the plate and start swinging for the fence. We're doing that here in the desert. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's hot, but been getting a lot of, you know, afternoon thunder showers. So, I'll try and get out right before or right after those so that the sending conditions are pretty decent. And we're working on uh, steadiness to wing shot and fall and finally putting it all together. Using a lot of, got you got to hand it to them, uh, pigeons, a lot of training pigeons that I'm wing clipping. They're, um, they're, they'll fly a little bit out of the launcher and that's good because what I am working on most is that last part of the transaction where Flick is watching that bird go up into the air and then fall back down. So far, so good. Still have a gut hitch on him. You know, Bob Ferris's uh, suggestion, it's kind of like the half hitch that the Smith uh, cousins use, something with a little pressure on the flank, but also incorporating some very soft gunshots and so far seems to be working for us in fact i am prolonging the steadiness after the fall as long as possible figure a little bit more wiggle room in that area probably can't hurt uh you uh, all sorts of things there love your thoughts in fact i you know I, I came across a picture of something i found in the field recently it was three or four shotgun shells just laying on the ground uh somewhere and I've, you know, 
I, I've, I've over the years seen any number of versions of that. So I asked you, um, pick them up or leave them. Why or why not? And uh, got some fascinating answers. We all have our own rationale on that. And frankly, one of the things that bugs me is uh, I don't, I'm not their mother. Why should, I, why should I be cleaning up after someone who won't? But then uh, the arguments for picking them up enter into it, and I'll share yours as well as uh, maybe some of mine. It does reflect on all of us. The last thing you want is some bird watcher walking around out there or seeing some empties on the ground and thinking all bird hunters are a bunch of litterers or worse. But some great ideas from you. Lance Larson says, My dad taught me to try to leave the area you hunt better than the way you found it. I always seem to have more empties than what I shot when I get back. Isn't that the truth? Um, Jay Knetner says, pick them up even if they're not yours, because God knows as much as you try, some of yours get lost too, and that's absolutely true. Uh, Adam Harnage says, my son Mikey collects all of them when we hunt, ours or not. I remember back when I was um, at, at, a, at a, a hunt club somewhere in, I think it was in, Idaho, I'm not sure. He said one, once every couple months he'll have uh, the Boy Scout troop come in and he'll pay the Boy Scouts a nickel per shell. Man, do they do a good job of it. I love that. Kurt Deary reloads, so some of the spent casings that he can't find anywhere else are, um, are uh, a gift to him. Um, some great ones. Uh, here's, here's from Steve Selvig. Uh, chatting with a rancher that allows me to grouse hunt his ranch. I mentioned that I pick up all my empties. He responded, great, cows are a curious lot and just might pick one up and swallow it. Yeah, I've heard the same thing from uh, folks in South Dakota. The combines really don't like that kind of stuff. And, uh, and so another, a, another good reason right there. Let's see. Um, let's, oh, okay. John Morris says he's primarily a rabbit hunter, uh, and he always does his best to retrieve all of his shells, but once in a while he'll place a shell on a tree, write down the date, the game taken, and my dog's name, he says. It may seem odd, but uh, in the past, what he's done is he's found those old shells again and remembered his old dog and brings back fond memories. Now that is cool. He says he's been doing this since he was 16. Three dogs ago, continue on with the four he has now. I love that. Many, many of you said the same thing that I was counseled years ago, and that is, why would I leave a bunch of empties around that are just evidence that there's great bird hunting here for other people who aren't quite as willing to work as hard? So great thoughts on uh, empties and whether we should pick them up or not. So uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Love hearing from you. And I'll uh, hopefully keep asking questions that uh, provide you with food for thought. Uh, speaking of food, we're brought to you in part by Purina Pro Plan Sport. Yeah, they do their best to concentrate that nutrition and optimize the oxygen metabolism. The reason that they strive for VO2 max, that's what it's called, whether it's a human or a dog in the athletic world, that builds endurance during exercise, 
gee, don't we all need that? They provide high-protein formulas with real meat as the first ingredient. Lots of choices, though, in that world, you know, red meat, poultry, and a little bit of everything else. And the amino acids that are prevalent in those high-protein formulas will build muscles, including recovery time after exercise. Learn more about all their formulas and why I have switched at ProPlansport.com. And MidwayUSA.com, just about everything they need, you need, for shooting, hunting in the outdoors. I'm outfitting. I got a new little travel trailer just for me and Flick. A lot easier to pull. (laughs) And you'll see it this fall somewhere. We'll talk about that as we get closer to the season. But uh, outfitting it in many ways at MidwayUSA.com, from camping gear to a little bit of clothing to... Well, some kitchen stuff, uh, and then, of course, all that stuff for people like you and me. From ammo to dog training stuff, it's all there at MidwayUSA.com. 20,000 of their products ship free. That's always nice, isn't it? Well, as part of our Industry Insiders ongoing feature series, I'm glad to finally have this guy with us. I've been admiring his stuff for several years and uh, finally got him on the line with us. Matt Davis is the founder of Final Rise. You know them for their innovative and relatively new on the market uh, strap vest for you and me and everybody else. Matt, welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. Hey, thank you, Scott. I'm grateful for the opportunity, brother. I've uh, admired you from afar for for many, many years, and it's been fun to run into you at a couple shows here and there, and feel grateful to be here on the show with you today. Well, we're going to get a lot accomplished, I can guarantee you, and I'm the same way. I'm glad we finally talked a couple pheasant fests ago, and uh, <laughs> and then I got it. You know, I got to admit, I was, you know, I got a, I got a few. Uh, I don't know what to call them, obsessions, pet peeves, that sort of thing. Uh-huh. One, one of them is the strap vest thing. And, and I got it, you know, like most listeners know, I've consulted to six different vest designs. Um, and I'm still waiting for the perfect one, uh, which is why <laughs> we're talking. But the other thing is <clears throat> nobody has designed the perfect hunting pant. Uh, but wait, you say, right? <laughs> we'll talk more about both of those and more but first let's start with you know i understand i think but tell me why you called your company final rise you know it's it's a funny story scott and it's i i think i've really only shared insight to it in one previous uh, conversation from a handful of years ago um but you know it, it was funny i was standing in my friend derek's garage and i was there with our my friend tom and a couple other buddies and we were we were wrenching on jeeps uh, i i like jeeping i have an xj i call it my war wagon i'm a big john wayne fan maybe some people know that or not but uh anyways we were kind of it was kind of in those final stages of you know 
the go-to market strategy and all the guys that I was sharing the garage with or a handful of my hunting buddies. And we had been using this vest for the previous, the previous season and a half essentially. And uh, these guys are my neighbors. So, you know, we'd go hunt. And then if we didn't like something, we'd go back in my little sewing room at my house and we tweak stuff up and then we'd go hunt again the next day. And it was, it was a really fun R and D process. But as we were having, you know, the discussion of like, Hey, what, what do we call this? You know, what do we call the product? What do we kind of call the business? And I'm, I'm, I'm all about throwing ideas out there and just ha- and sharing a room with uh, guys that are, are like-minded and they're, they're simple fellers, you know, a handful of them are uh, military guys, um, electricians, different guys like that, just blue collar guys that are just awesome. Awesome. And so I, I, I come from, kind of the outdoor industry that's predominantly where my uh my adult career path has taken me and where i've spent the majority of my years working and so i've been a part of a couple other startups and different things like that and i really wanted to make sure that we nailed the name right that it was very cohesive easy to connect with and reflective of who we are but had had some meaning um there's so much power in words you know my my mom was an english professor as was my stepmother and so i grew up you know with a little bit of an infatuation with words and there's just certain words that just punch a little bit harder right and we were we were kind of talking and i didn't want to necessarily peg hole us into only the upland space and that may be an indicator of uh broader horizons in the future for final rise and some of the endeavors we'll probably go on here soon um but I also wanted to make sure that it was first and foremost connecting with our, our core audience and who we wanted to, uh, you know, be a stronger part of the community of. And that was the Upland space, right? And so, um, you know, I'd thrown out word, word, I think I called it like the bandit bag or the rim rock raider or something like that. But I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's too chuckery, right? Like, what about, what about my quail guys? What about my, what about my pheasant guys, right? So you're just going through this process and, you know, I, I, posed the question i was like guys what is what is the most like impactful moment like what is that what is that experience that happens in the field regardless of what species you're hunting regardless of what dog you're following or what gun you're toting like what is that pinnacle moment in bird hunting that is just like you can't put words on what that is and my friend tom said the rise and i'm like oh my gosh dude like it, dude, it hit me like a ton of bricks i'm like okay rise like okay, so how do we, how do we kind of like tie that together? And in, in, it just came to my mind essentially. I was like, what about final rise? Like it's, it's that, that pinnacle moment of that bird. It's, it's coming off the, it's coming out in front of a beautiful point. It's rising, it's shot. And it's that finals were that final birds rise and the final rise obviously ends it up in, in your game bag. Right. And so it kind of just seems like it just, melted so well together you know the word final the word rise they're they're pretty punchy words you know there's a lot of uh um you know whether you're religious or different things like that you know there's a couple other um analogies or parallels that can be drawn there and so it just it just really hit hard for me and man that was a really long way to go about that scott but that's kind of how final rise got its name my, the hair on the back of my neck is standing up. I know exactly what you mean, and I think everybody else does too, and I love it. It's too bad you can't fit all that on the label in, in the vest. <laughs> but, you aren't kidding. But, you know, there's a pat. You, you, you have just described the passion that gets all of us, you know, all, the juices flowing in all of us, whether it's the participation, it's the recollection of that. It's, it's also... 
um, what fuels people like you and me who design and uh, and create products. Right. Uh, the people who just make them and then put them on the shelf, uh, and I've, <laughs> that's usually what I get called on to help with, is the, <laughs> the guy who, who never hunts birds and then makes a bird hunting vest. Um, but Very common. <laughs> it, it's so true, it, and I love it. Uh, so tell me, uh, speaking of passion, um, what was the best uh, hunt you went on this past season? Oh, God, I don't know, brother. I'm, I'm fortunate to probably live a very similar lifestyle to you. I, I work incredibly incredibly hard but i probably play even harder um but i would say probably my, my most enjoyable hunt this past year and it was a new experience for me i'm very much a bucket list oriented person I, i'm i'm all about experiences there's certain things i want to experience and i believe that that variety is the you know the spice of life and i'm predominantly a chucker hunter that's you know that's that gets me going that's what i like going after um but I, I went down to Arizona and had the opportunity to experience Mernsquill for the first time. And the, the, the similarities between Chucker and the, the Mernsquill, I mean, it was, it was really special. And I really, I'll tell you the one thing I really loved about it, Scott, was the guys that I hunted with, and these were local guys, the amount of respect and almost, there's almost a reverence and Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm spacing what the word is, but just they, the, the way that they go about hunting these birds. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's so proper. It's so, it's so thoughtful and so intentional. And I just, I respected that so much. It wasn't, I mean, it, it was very much not about shooting limits or this and that it was, no, this is how we do it. These are the rules. We do not deter from these rules. And it just, it just made me respect those guys and the species even more. Well, you know, I wrote a piece for Pointing Dog Journal a, a year or so ago on the rituals we we employ, mm-hmm. and it sounds like that. I mean, and, and it was probably true 50, 80, 100 years ago in the in southern quail woods, for example. But like you said, there's a protocol. Yes, and, sir. And it, and it's different for Merns down there at Patagonia than it is for, um, you know, Bob White's in Georgia. But but there are procedures that yep. <laughs> t- tell me about some of them because you know <laughs> i've been corresponding with a, uh, a guy i interviewed a couple of weeks ago who really wants to do an arizona hunt and i've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off <laughs> but there are i mean tell me w- w- what is different about that from say a, a bob white hunt or even a valley quail hunt you know, and I don't have any Bob White experience, so I, I don't know if I can necessarily speak accurately to that. But the the limited quail experiences that I've had, you know, we've we've still got quail here in Utah, yeah, California. Yeah. I've gone to Mexico, and they've always kind of just been a bonus bird when we're hunting pheasants. If I'm being a hundred percent honest, right? Like they they're kind of um, in the generalized the same areas, and so it's it's fun to run into a covey here or there. Um, but the the practices and the way that they treated the species that they I think they recognize how delicate they are, um, and these and, and I, I won't even try to <laughs> fully articulate the the depth of knowledge that these that these gentlemen had about the species and about why they were where they were. I mean, these guys were like my kind of people. I like people that are on the extreme end of the spectrum and just obsessed with the little things. Um, and I should have soaked more of that up, but like there were certain like as far as protocols and processes for how we enjoyed these birds it was you know we didn't hunt before a certain time we didn't hunt after a certain time mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you, if you contacted a covey of birds 
you could shoot into those birds and anything in the surrounding area as far as singles we let go we okay shoot. yeah it, it was covey oriented they were they said we we shoot coveys if someone gets a bird we move on from that covey um and so it, it was wonderful because the dogs got an incredible amount of work obviously i think most people that experienced arizona um from what i've heard and my my personal experience was it was there were a lot of birds there was a, there was an incredible amount of birds and so it was a you know quote unquote good year um that made it nice because we were still able to put several birds in the bag but um it was just such a a, a good reminder of what that that bird hunting should be about the experience it's not about filling the vest it was the it was the processes it was the why behind the enjoyment versus just going out and enjoying yourself well how do they differ let's again whether it's bob white's valley quail or or Mm -hmm. gamble's quail for that matter or scales now that i think about Mm -hmm. it they're all down there um how how does a merns quail hunt differ whether it's the terrain or the strategy and tactics yeah so and again speaking from very rookie rookie level of my experience but that the country was very very different it was almost like mini chucker hunting country i had to describe that and a lot of people told me that they're like oh man if you love chucker hunting you're gonna love hunting merns quail and you know steep canyons lots of rocks like i mean that's that's what my dogs are made for and they they had they, they did an incredible job but you know getting into those oaks and the the explosiveness of the bird how what how tight that bird held but you're in these canyons and these shoots and it was it was very 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 chuckery uh i would almost say they probably fly even a little bit faster than chucker and then they're about half the size so very very sporting to shoot and you know just one of those beautiful males in your hands oh my gosh i don't I mean, they're they're all beautiful, but that was uh, that that's a pinnacle bird for me. Yeah, and the dogs, how are they? How are they working? Uh, whether it's Merns or or that country, uh, how do they have to adjust? And what do you see when you're watching a dog work a Merns quail? Yeah, so from from what I experienced down there, Scott was you know these Merns quail were definitely in more open. They were op- open terrain. You know, they were surrounded by the oak trees, or they were surrounded by rocks where there was probably water somewhere very close by. Um, but they were a little bit more in the open, where predominantly a lot of the quail that I've hunted in the past, you know, they're they're stuck in the thickest cover. Right, you get a get a pointing dog that points a briar or a brush and you got to walk over and kick the bush for five minutes to get these birds to come out. But these Merns quail were in the wide open and you would, you know, walk in on this dog. And actually the way that we hunted them is I've got a couple of short hairs, um, as does my friend that I was down there hunting with, but he also had uh, one of those Cocker Spaniels. And so mm-hmm. all the point dogs would go on point and everybody would kind of get set, right? It was kind of, Hey, here's our shooting lanes. Here's how we're going to kind of do this. And then he would release that cocker. And it probably made things a little bit easier to shoot because the birds weren't coming up between your legs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but the dogs, you know, just, just those birds were definitely in, in the open more than I anticipated them. I was, I was thinking, you know, we're going to be kicking cactus. We're going to be pushing a little bit thicker brush, but it was, it was very open country. Um, it was it was literally chucker mini chucker country with uh with just a little bit different vegetation and whatnot i love it so how how'd your dogs do they did incredibly well um it was funny you know getting getting out of the truck uh my friend robert robert poor is is the gentleman's name he's a super good dude um super clever and funny guy on social media but uh anyways robert said hey don't like don't be upset 
if your dogs are struggling to find these birds like it it's just it's just a little bit different it's a little bit warmer you know we're coming off you know it, it was late january so here in utah we've got you know snow on the ground and it's just prime prime chucker hunting season right and fortunately our dogs are in incredible shape they're hunting hard they're they're at the peak of their season as far as performance goes and his buddy said hey just you know there's some dogs it takes them a day or two to figure this out and uh i i've got uh, a four-year-old short hair that i took down with me and then i had a puppy he's about he was only about 10 months old and i don't expect much out of the pup but i had pretty high expectations for chief my four-year-old and about five minutes out of the out of the truck he he stuck a beautiful covey and they, they were down in this little tiny draw and i actually got to see him on the ground uh before they flushed and yeah shot, yeah got, got a beautiful double and my buddy came over and said i think you'll be okay yeah <laughs> uh, i don't want to hear any more about that part <laughs> uh hey you're listening to the upland nation podcast i'm scott linden the host that's matt davis he's the founder of final rise they make um i, I i'll just say hunting gear at this point because we're going to get deeper into all of that that was the whole point of this industry insider segment of the show but uh but Anybody griping about listening to some hunting stories first? I doubt it. Uh, Matt, um, you did mention chuckers, and, and as, as I, I'm sure you know, that's, that's what I live for, too. Uh, when you're out there, you know, most people don't look at Utah as a chucker hunting state. So, you know, tell me what it's like out there compared to, you know, what we think it's like. Yeah, you know, I've other than basically probably california and hawaii i've been fortunate to hunt chuckers about everywhere else that they're you know accessible and um i i would say that where we hunt chucker primarily and this is honestly scott it's what got me really hooked on chucker hunting in general was the how physically demanding it was and the country that we hunt them here, you know, we're hunting kind of the West Deserts area between basically Salt Lake and uh, Nevada. Mm-hmm, There's some pretty mm-hmm. bad deserts out that way. And it looks like absolutely nothing could inhibit that. It looks like the far side of the moon type stuff. And it's it's nice because there's not a lot of people out out yeah. there right that was that was kind yeah. of one of the draws for me i'm like you know i don't i don't go hunting not because i don't like people but i call myself an extroverted introvert right it, you know if i can have a conversation like we're having where it's something i'm so passionate about you pop a quarter in me and i'm gonna go for days but other than that i kind of keep to myself i'm a pretty quiet guy and chucker hunting was just that perfect escape it was the perfect combination of you know, physically demanding. I enjoy, I love the exercise. I, I mean, chucker hunting is probably going to help me live a little bit longer than I probably would. Unless you fall off a cliff first. <laughs> there, that, that, there, there's, there's always a chance. There's always a chance there. Um, but yeah, just the, the big enough country, it, it's physically demanding. It's hard wing shooting. It, there was just something about, you know, holding a, a chucker in your hand it's it's really you know it's an accomplishment to me you know whether you're going out shooting a handful one or a limit like it really is an accomplishment and utah is is incredibly rugged country for what it is i've been i've had a couple buddies that have come out from you know nevada and oregon and different different kind of surrounding states that have wonderful chucker populations and more chuckers honestly than utah i won't say that we even compete on uh, on the quantity level as far as uh, other states go 
but you know, these guys have come out, they, some of them kind of share similar goals. They're like, man, I want to, sh- I want to be able to successfully shoot a chucker in every, every location that I can. And every single one of them that I've brought out, and I don't know if it's just where I'm taking them, Scott, but they're like, Utah is the hardest chucker hunting we've ever yeah, done. Yeah, I, I might agree, it, but that <laughs> that's part of the fun too, and that's why we do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know, if you were going to give us a couple chucker hunting tips that I will take to heart, and other people may as well. I mean, what have you learned? What the hard way, for example, that uh, that maybe we haven't. Oh man, I, I I you know I think there's a couple standard rules out there as far as just bird hunting probably goes and chucker hunting in general but um you know i I think having a good objective-based dog is very important i think chuckers are very much you you can as you know as as more a more seasoned chucker hunter scott i'm sure you're the same you can be driving down our dirt road and you're like there's chucker there like you you just you can look at it and you can recognize that um as far as man is but as far as tips it's obviously a good dog there you're going to have long days in the field and again i probably walk more on a weekend of chucker hunting than i do on a backpack backpacking mule deer hunt or elk hunt you know it's you're going to put down 10 12 14 miles and your dog's going to run anywhere between 20 25 maybe 30 miles depending on the dog the breed and its durability and so good dogs obviously incredibly important um good gear is obviously a no-brainer but as far as tactics and whatnot I'm a, I'm a get to the top kind of guy first thing in the morning. Um, yeah. Yeah. Get, get up early, get a, get above the birds before the thermal switch. I mean, I, I think most bird hunters understand how thermals work and the, and the, the advantage that that lends to a dog. And then if you're able to get up and you're an objective based hunter, you recognize the holding areas that could potentially have those birds. And then simply hunting your dogs into them. I, I would say it's probably easier than most people think. I think the hardest part about it is the physicality of it and what it takes to get up there and be able to wear out a pair of boots in a season and really, really get after it and learn and get your butt kicked a couple times. I, I just had to ask a boot manufacturer to send me some extra laces. <laughs> and and that's silly, I know. But but the point was I said to him, man, I, I, I those other brands – I've worn out in two years, but the laces have survived. So I have some, you know, two-year-old boots in in your brand, in another brand. And he says, how could you do that? How could you wear out a pair of our boots in two years? And (laughs) I said, just go look on the map, then go to Google Earth, and and you'll figure it out. Yeah. It's it's absolutely (laughs) true. What about your dog's feet? Uh, you know, this is a uh, one of those other obsessions. We'll get to the we'll get to the gear obsessions in the second half of the program. Yeah. But but uh, how, do you do anything to take care of your dog's feet before, during, and after uh, a hunt or a season? You know, I'm I'm pretty old school. I grew up on a farm. I'm a little bit of a cowboy. Um, horses, cattle, different stuff like that. And so I I don't necessarily I love my dogs like family, but uh, I believe that just getting them in shape, conditioning the dogs, running the dogs. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm so fortunate. I've got, I mean, infinite access to so much ground. I, you know, I can saddle a horse, drive for five minutes, get out of the trailer, drop a dog 
and ride my horse for an hour and a half and just exercise my dogs. Like I'm super, super blessed that way. And so I just think that preseason preparation is probably the most overlooked aspect. You know, summers are busy camping, kids are out, like there's, there's lots going on. And then all of a sudden it's September and it's time to put dogs on the ground and maybe they're not necessarily ready. So I'm, I'm just a big believer in putting, putting them on the ground, challenging the dog physically year around and, uh, getting a dog with dark pads. I haven't had good luck with light pads, kind of the same with, uh, with horses. And yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think this, those, they just have a harder feet and you kind of just know what to look for. And any, anyways, yeah, I, I, I don't do, I just run them. Uh, what, <laughs> run them what, hard. what about anything in, in the way of training? Have you learned that some of the things that a, a lot of us have learned over the years about how to train a dog to become a real good chucker dog? Oh man, I'm, I'm super simple. You know, I, I, I get lots of people that, you know, I wouldn't consider myself an expert handler to, to any degree, Scott, you know, I'm a big believer that birds make the bird dog, um, a- access to wild birds. I feel that wild birds are the best teacher. You know, I, if I see a dog that has potential, for example, I've got a, I've got a young dog. He's just turned a year old, same dog. I was yeah, mentioning yeah. on that Arizona hunt, you know, um, I took, I took him out to Oregon, right. Kind of at the tail end of their season. And I'm always going to let a dog make a lot of mistakes, right? I feel like that bird's going to teach it. I think if you've bought a well-bred dog that is, you know, genetically and physically able to kind of piece that puzzle together, it's just repetition and exposure. There obviously needs to be an underlying foundation of obedience and understanding of a handful of simple commands. But for me, it's, it's here, whoa, and fetch. And those are the three things that my dogs have to know, like the back of their hand or back of their paw, I guess. Right. <laughs> yep. And uh, other than that, I just, I'm just fortunate to have an incredible amount of field time that uh, I've, I've had some, some incredible dogs. And if I see that potential there, I don't put pigeons in front of them. I don't, I, I feel like non, you know, non wild birds. If, you know, if a young dog catches a bird on the ground, you know, you, you might be in for a totally different experience if, if you hadn't gone that route. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very simple in my handling. And to me, wild birds make a wild bird dog. Can't agree more. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that other stuff, uh, including the gear that Matt Davis and his company are uh, designing and manufacturing at Final Rise. Right after this quick break, Matt Davis, hang on for a minute and we'll be back to you in 90 seconds. Wonderful. And we'll also have the Handle It segment coming up. Uh, Some of the forms of praise that I use that uh, maybe... uh, might be of value to you as well. So stick around for that. First off, we're brought to you in part by HighVizSites.com. That's H-I-V-I-Z-S-I-G-H-T-S.com. HighVizSites.com. See what you've been missing. Uh, They got a great tab up at the top on learn. Yeah, that's all it says is learn. Lots of shotgunning tips. You know, the company was founded to help shotgunners way back in 1996 and has stayed true to that vision, advancing the art of shooting. Light pipe technology, light wave, tritium, fiber optic sites, they've got it all, and they are the pioneers in that world. Learn more about them at highvizsites.com. And I love them the way they come from the factory, but I'm putting a high-vis sight on one of my pointer shotguns right now. It will, well, they already fit me well, 
and I love their balance. So uh, this can only do more good for me, and I need all the help I can get. At PointerShotguns.com, you can shop all models, semis, over and unders, the new side-by-sides, all the case coloring and uh, Cerakoted finishes. Learn more and find a nearby retailer at PointerShotguns.com. And rejoining me, Matt Davis at Final Rise out in Utah. You know, uh, uh, that is on my short list of chucker uh, destinations because uh, I'm like you. I I haven't hit, I haven't found any chuckers in Montana. Rumor has it there are some. Maybe you've hit them. Have you? I I actually haven't. That's actually one of the states that I, I... I know there's birds there, and I've, I've, I know people that have been successful in harvesting them, but uh, that's I hunt Montana a lot, but I haven't gone looking for chuckers there yet, so probably shame on me. Okay, I'll see, <laughs> I'll see you there this fall. I'm, I'm headed there in <laughs> mid-September. Yeah, which yeah, I love the sharp tail hunting because it's chucker hunting without rocks. Absolutely. Oh, <laughs> one of my favorites. Cool. Well, we'll talk off mic about that somewhere down the road. But, uh, you know, <laughs> final rise, love the idea. Um, like I said, I'm kind of deep into the vest design and manufacturing world for a bunch of reasons. Um, why did you guys decide the world needed a better strap vest? That's, that's, that's a wonderful question. And, you know, there's, there's so much awesome product on the market, right, Scott? And I believe ultimately that there's a product for everybody and there has to exist different levels of product, you know, as, as people are maturing and they're as, as a sportsman or as a consumer. And, you know, as we all, you know, improve financial situations and that, that leads to new opportunities to hunt places that require different gear. Like there's this whole journey that we all go on, you know, and I'm, I think a lot of people overlook the fact that just because I, uh, I'm fortunate to own my own business, I'm still a consumer of products. Right. And then this is a journey that I've been on my entire life. And, um, you know, looking at the market, you know, there's a handful of, there's many, many wonderful products out there, but it's it, living and working in the outdoor space, like I'd mentioned earlier, um, you know, it that is a market that moves at such an accelerated rate, right? I mean, for example, I worked for Hoyt Archery for six years, and the, the archery space is very similar to probably the golf space, right? There's got to be a new cam or a yeah, new damp yeah. or new weight on the head. And everybody's looking to edge out 10%. Oh, here's, here's a new fabric. Here's this, this is 10% lighter. Here's this new type of pull cord or this new zipper chain or this new whatever. Right. And yep, yep. that, that whole space is moving so incredibly fast. And while I'm an incredibly passionate bird hunter, I love big game hunting as well. I, I still live out of a backpack multiple weeks every single year. Um, I just, I love hunting in its entirety and the experiences that that affords me. And so, you know, living out of a backpack and having a handful of friends, industry friends and whatnot that work for some of the major pack manufacturers out there, I've had access to some incredible backpacks and so having access to that gear having a a really good 
understanding of you know how that stuff should be designed how it should work and how it should function and then the kind of final piece of the puzzle was i actually grew up and my parents own an industrial sewing company so i've been sewing and playing with my hunting gear my whole life yeah yeah (laughs) you know what a bobbin is (laughs) i i i sure do yep i'm just i'm sitting outside uh one of our shops right now just here in the truck just to have a quiet space to be able to talk with you but i mean we've got we've got some sewing machines humming probably 20 feet away from me right now i love uh, it it's anyway so kind of back to your initial question there you know as as i looked at the at the big game or excuse me the upland space uh you know there were a handful of pinnacle kind of brands out there that had kind of kind of established what they were doing and and wonderful products i've owned probably almost every pack out there i'm probably like you scott i'm a i'm a gear junkie at heart (laughs) and but i looked at I looked at the market, I looked at the materials and some of these products and I'm like, man, these could be lighter. They could be more durable. They could be more functional. Like the textile, the textile market moves at an incredible rate as well. I mean, if you look at just fabrics in general and what's been able to be, what, what's readily available just to general consumers in today's world, it's pretty incredible for, you know, a DIYer, right? I mean, you could make a backpacking tent, you could do all hammocks, you know, you could, you could run the full gambit. And I was like, man, I've got, I've got manufacturing experience. I have an incredible passion for bird hunting. I know how this gear should work. I'm just going to try throwing one of these together. And that's honestly how it started. Like I had zero intentions of this ever turning into what it is today. And maybe that's why it happened. But I just, like I said, I sewed a couple of these up for me and some buddies because I said, hey, I think I can, I think I can improve on a handful of things, things that I feel need addressed, uh, modularity, certain features. Like I'm just going to take a stab at it. And a lot of people don't know this, that I, I actually still work for and consult for a company um, that I've worked for essentially for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. I still do that in conjunction with this. Um, I'm, I'm a pretty loyal guy and there's some promises and commitments I've made to a handful of, of people over there. And so I'm, I'm seeing those, those through before I, before I depart and uh, pour a little bit more gas on this, but I'm also a very business oriented person. So, you know, we're, we're still, we're still working hard on this. I call final rise. My, it's not my nine to five, it's my five to two in the morning. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But anyways, yeah, I just, I just took a crack at it and just blended a lot of the features and concepts and ideologies from a lot of the, the big game hunting space, you know, how they carry weight, how do they distribute, how do they balance and then also having, you know, understanding of an upland bird hunter. I think you nailed it earlier, Scott. You know, these people that have reached out to you and said, hey, you know, they're looking for an uplander's perspective because they're not bird hunters themselves, right? They need to know, hey, is this right? Hey, is this wrong? What are the things that we're overlooking? Um, I know that there's a hundred ways to skin a cat and everybody has their opinions on how things should be built together and stuff like this. But this was just an opportunity for me to express my personal experiences in bird hunting and some of the things that I wanted to see and what I thought could be improved on. And I don't think that, I don't think that process ever ends. I think that that's a bar you have to continue to raise anytime you can. And so we've kind of poked the bear a little bit and hopefully woken up the, the upland market and it's, and it's just fun to see the traction we've gained and people have responded incredibly well to it. Well, I have my own list 
<clears throat> and so do you, but you have a sewing machine, so you can go on those and, and fix them. Uh, yep. what, what are some of the things that, that, uh, that you've worked on making better, whether it's the layout of the shoulder straps or how to carry water or where it rides on your hip? You know, what are the things that you did that you think are most notable? Yeah, that, that's a wonderful question. So I appreciate you asking that, Scott, because you know you you look at you look at a lot of these strap vests, right? And it's they conceptually they look very similar, right? It it's almost turns into a a Chevy Dodge Ram mm-hmm. Ford type mm-hmm. deal, right? Like it's like, but it's like it comes back to what's under the hood, right? Really, what what's going on with that? You know, uh, a car is always going to have four tires. Well, a strap vest is always going to have a waist belt and shoulder harness, but it's the intricacies of that and the whys behind that that I feel make a difference. And so the first the first thing that I really wanted to address on, and this is probably the biggest piece that stems from the backpacking space, is the waist belt and a lumbar system. Yeah. I think most people that have backpack understand the value and importance of a good wide surface contact waist belt and a lumbar pad and what those values offer because, you know, if you're, you know, we're, we're, if I'm going big game hunting and I'm carrying around 50, 60 pounds on my back and I'm fortunate to kill a great big buck or kill a good bull, I have to be able to carry a hundred plus pounds on my back. Now it's not always comfortable and I'm not going to, you know, there's, there's a point of diminishing returns at some point, you know, it just, it just sucks no matter what. Um, but the gear has to be able to support that. I'm like, well, why if if this is important in backpacking why is it an important in a strap vest where honestly it's it doesn't have a pack frame it doesn't have carbon stays there's no there's no vertical supports for that so that that waist belt and that lumbar pad that is the foundation because a strap vest is conceptually a fanny pack a glorified fanny pack right there you go yeah that that discussion came up not two days ago around here But that's that's that is that it's what it is, right? And so, being able to set that up, so it's like, okay, well, if we like like a good home, right? If you build a good foundation, everything that stems up from there is gonna is gonna perform better, right? And so, I, you know, the waist belt and the lumbar pad, and that lumbar pad is is something that is unique specifically to our design. I'm I'm not currently aware of another upland vest out there that uses an integrated lumbar pad and um again it's just maybe lack of experience or people you know some people have sewing machines and just make gear to make gear and that's okay that's that's totally fine i think it's great um but that lumbar pad i mean it really is an x factor and so with that in place as you start you know going from the ground up right if that's our foundation you start getting into the shoulder harness and that's one of the things that um I, I really wanted to nail because you think a lot of people probably overlook this, but it's like, that's where my gun goes. Yeah. If I've, yeah. if I've just hiked five miles following my dog and he finally locks up on point, you know, and I'm slipping on the rocks and I'm c- trying to come in cross hill at this dog to get a good shooting angle on what I hope is going to, you know, be a big covey of chucker that'll hold and behave for me. And I go to shoulder my gun and I get caught up on a plastic component or there's so much padding in that harness that it changed my length of pull and it skews my mount. You miss the mount, you miss the bird, right? There, I mean, every once in a while you'll, you'll get lucky. You know, I've, I've seen plenty of people hip shoot birds, but um, 
fundamentally that's not how it's supposed to work so we we felt if we had a good waist belt that we could get away with a non-padded shoulder harness because i mean transparently my opinion is you know a padded shoulder harness is a band-aid for a waist belt that could have been designed better that's, I, want, that's, I, want, I want to go back to that because I've, i have a very good friend you all heard him on the show in fact uh who's a big game hunter and he's the one like you hauling 100 pounds of bear out you know and go up uphill the whole way and, <laughs> and our discussion never ends about uh strap vests for bird hunting and he keeps thinking the same thing why doesn't anybody put a lumbar lumbar pad in there how how is that going to work all right granted most of us know the, the lumbar area is our lower back. Okay, go from there. What's the point of that? So the point of that, so in that lower back area, so the analogy that I, I, I think really drives this home for a lot of people is, you know, if you're, if you're wearing a belt right now, the leather, leather belts are usually a great uh, indicator of this, and you were to pull that belt out and you looked at it, in the middle of it somewhere where it goes right across the top of your bum crack, I would imagine there's a giant V shape in it. There's a nook there. Yeah. Yeah. And that is because there is no surface contact between your lower back and that pant. So naturally that pant is sagging, inducing that wear into your daily into the leather belt that you wear on so, the daily. So so that is the source of plumber's crack. <laughs> exactly and i've got a couple brother-in-laws that are plumbers so, I so do i <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna tell both of them <laughs> but so i think that creates kind of a little bit of a visual and so i'll bring that full circle and why that's important to a vest right because if you have a, a, a lumbar pad there so the lumbar pad that lower back now because you're inducing padding or additional surface area right because that foam is going to stick out further than the waist belt itself you're now filling that gap well if i fill that gap i accomplish a couple different things here the first thing i accomplish is i'm providing additional surface contact yeah so if i'm going from the points of my hips all the way around the back almost as if you were drawing a horseshoe now there isn't a void at the very small of my back. And it's a, it's a bigger area than you think. I mean, not, most of the time it's five, six, seven inches wide and several inches tall. And so if I'm now able to fill that void, well, now I'm providing additional support into the game bag itself. So now yeah. the game bag yeah. is going to stay put. Now as I'm loading stuff into that, it's going to hold better. And then if you think about the alignment, where does that lumbar set pad sit? Well, it sits right below your shoulder harness. What, how many guys have gotten back to the truck, had an awesome day of field They go to take off their vest and they're like, man, my neck is sore. And you start doing that little chin turn thing and you're kind of rubbing your neck and you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm sore. I'm stiff. It's well, it's because the weight was on your neck the whole time. It wasn't on your hips. And that's, that's, what's pulling back on you. So, um, I, I guess, yeah, full circle. You've got the surface contact. You've got that additional support to any of that weight. And that just, that foundation stems from there to be able to provide a minimal lightweight setup that's just going to be more comfortable, balance better, and be more efficient in the field. And, and just for the record, uh, the, the whole point of all of this is so that when you're carrying weight, the weight is on your hips, not your shoulders. The sh you should be able to easily slip your hand under yes, your shoulder strap and that's kind of how we look at it and it, it makes sense and i remember the days when kelty introduced the hip belt to their external frame packs back when we were still riding horses and uh 
getting mad at those dang horseless carriages that were getting in the way. <laughs> but 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 th- th- that is a difference that a lot of people really don't understand. And I, and I don't want to lecture anybody on that. But well, I, I love the idea. Okay, so let's go to something else that really caught my eye, and and we've all been concerned about this. We love our dogs. Uh, We all think about it. Some of us do something about it, but there is a chance that at some point we're going to have to carry a dog out. Absolutely. And you you put some thought into that. (laughs) I have because I've had to carry a dog out. Okay, then. (laughs) That's, (laughs) like I said, learning the hard way, right, Matt? (laughs) that's exactly right and like again this is this is simply you know our vest and our design it's just a reflection of my personal experiences right and i know there's more to come over time but again like to, to the dog right the, the dog and i think for most for most people it's it's probably the most enjoyable part of bird hunting and why most of us are out there most guys are dog men before they're bird hunters and those dogs, you know, I have incredible relationships with them. Yes, they are a tool to me. Yes, they, they're a part of my family, but I, I, I feel the, the ownership and the responsibility to care for that animal. And there have been multiple times that I've, I've had to pack dogs out. I know people that have had to put dogs down in the field and those are just experiences that I wanted to avoid. And so as we were thinking through just the little tiny things, what can we improve the ability to carry a dog it just made so much sense right again i'm coming from a lot of backpacking space i'm like well if i can carry meat if my pack can be comfortable carrying you know a deer quarter or an elk quarter or part of an antelope or whatever man i bet you i could set this up so that i can actually carry and transport a dog and for anybody you know people are like oh well my dog's only 40 pounds i'll tell you what try Try holding a dog in front of you yeah. or try getting an injured dog that wants to squirm or kick or whatever. Try getting them up on your shoulders. And it's not a fun experience. And nine times out of 10, you're probably going to leave your shotgun. You're probably going to leave some other gear behind. You know, there's, there's, there's some urgency there. Usually if a dog's injured, whether it's a snake bite or, you know, it's fallen off a cliff, chucker hunting has a compound fracture. You got quilled by a, 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 porcupine i was trying to not say the nicknames of them but like yeah i mean (laughs) i'm already thinking of them (laughs) anyways but yeah there's just all those different things that can happen and so it just made sense it it was it's honestly a very simple feature and very simple concept but uh i felt like it was kind of an x factor that helped separate us from um the people just sewing best just because they had a sewing machine you know and and it is and and we've all probably at least seen um, versions of this uh, that you can buy separately, if you will. But mm-hmm. this, this is integrated into the vest. Correct. And it it, it looks like, <clears throat> once, you know, we all ought to train our dogs, just like we train them to trim their nails or anything else. We ought to train our dog to, to ride in that thing. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's great. I've got my, my, oldest, my oldest dog, Reload. He's, he's 12 now. And uh, we recently shot a couple just how-to videos that are up on our YouTube channel, yeah, yeah. and just, just to kind of demonstrate that, just to just to better educate and empower, uh, you know, both existing customers and potential customers in the future about that feature, but how it works, how it functions, how to do it properly, and 
by the end of it, I mean, he's, he's an old dog. So he's the kind of dog that he'll get, if he can get away with something he's going to. And by the end, but by the time we were done, he's like, Oh, you're going to haul me around. Great. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted to hop right in it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you were willing to, if you were able to point as well as him, that would be even better. Um, you know, before I forget, I haven't mentioned your website address at all. Why don't you give that to us? And then however else we can learn more about you guys. Yeah, so primarily www.finalrise.com. Try to keep it super simple. Fortunately, it was a unique enough name. We were yeah. able to grab an original URL that makes us easy to find there. And that 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 same name is reflected across most of the social channels there. So Instagram, Facebook, um, same with YouTube as well. I'm not super big on Twitter or TikTok, but uh, we've probably got to pay a little bit of attention to that because that's where a lot of the younger eyes are at. But yeah. Uh, yeah, the meat and potatoes that everybody's primarily familiar with, you can just find us under Final Rise. There you go. That's Matt Davis. He's the founder of Final Rise. They make hunting gear. I'm Scott Linden. I make the Upland Nation podcast, among other things. Matt, um, what has been the uh, kind of the biggest challenge introducing yet another vest to the market? Oh, I would say the the biggest challenge has probably just been the educational aspect of it right yeah, I, I yeah. think um you know it's it, this the space has definitely become a little bit more busy over the year i think we've kind of poked the bear and, and put a little bit of a spotlight on it that maybe some bigger companies are oh you know this is a maybe a more tangible market than they thought it was in the first place but uh it's just i think a lot of it's just education and helping people understand the differences between, you know, uh, an American made and sourced vest and the process that goes into that, the hours, the people behind that, um, the field time that's gone into that. It's a little bit differently. And, and it, as far as, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's a premium price product. There's no doubt about that. And that's where, you know, I spoke earlier to the importance of additional companies and brands and businesses and products is that there's a product for everybody. And, the 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 silver lining of that education for us scott is that it's it's a lot of aha moments for a lot of guys that have you know several years in the field and you know they they look at it like why hasn't someone done this why hasn't someone done that i can't tell you how many times scott, we had guys say like this like i i sketched this up like this is the vest that i sketched up two years ago and i just didn't do anything with it you know different yep. things like oh that. yeah this, this is <laughs> has everything that I wanted it to have. And so I, I think that's just a, a confirmation that we're, that we're on the right track, that we're doing the right things and paying attention to what needs to be, be focused on. So uh, just, ed, just education, education. I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, you know, though there's marketing, that's primarily what my background is in, but I believe empowering people and helping them be become educated on something is so important because I, I tell people this all the time, whether or not my products are the right product for you, I want you to get into bird hunting because I care about the big picture. This is, this is bigger than, um, you know, me making a living or providing a living for other people and whatnot. Like it's about the future of the sport and 
if our product isn't the right product, I want you to get the right product for you. I want you to love it. I want you to get your buddies into this. And I know that full circle, I benefit from that. So I'm a very transparent and honest person. I talk to a lot of people and nine times out of 10, we are the right product for them. But on the rare occasion that we aren't, it's no skin off my back because I know that person's on the right track and I hope to see them again in a couple of years when they're ready. <laughs> well, I'm one of those guys. I walked up to your booth at Pheasant Fest uh, last year where were we anyway minneapolis i think yep. it's all a blur anymore but i walked up to the booth and there were ah those are the pants i was going to design if i ever had the time <laughs> <laughs> and i'm intrigued uh so t tell me more about what might ultimately be the quintessential bird hunting pant Oh, man, you know, I, 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 again, I think there's a product for everybody out there, Scott, but I'm, I'm really excited about our all-terrain pant and the, 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 the features. The, I mean, it's a very futurist, but it's also, it's also very simple in a lot of different ways. Sometimes less is more. Um, and this, you know, we're calling it our all-terrain pant because it is a, a do-all. If there was a pant that was going to be a Swiss Army blade for any bird hunter out there, this is going to be it. Um, you know, spoiler alert, we'll, we'll develop a more robust, you know, full-blown brush pant in the future. We may come out with an even lighter one um, further down the road as well. But as far as a product that really wraps its arms around what I feel are probably 90-plus percent of the market's needs, I feel like we've really accomplished that. Um, yeah, I'm excited. Well, describe it from the waist down. Let's just go through the features yeah. and the and and the textiles too. We haven't talked about uh, any of the fabrics yet, so let's let's explore these pants just a little bit. No, yeah, well, wonderful. So the, the the fabric itself, I won't say the exact name of it, just uh, just to not have to show my cards primarily there, but it's uh, it's a four way stretch fabric, and it's manufactured here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, as far as I'm aware, you know, there's there's American-made products and then there's American-made products. <laughs> and what I mean by that is there's plenty, there's lots of good stuff out there, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, I, I can hop on and access import documents and, and see who's bringing in what from where, and that that's not a knock because they are premium fabrics, but RMO as a company in its entirety is to do things maybe the little bit harder way and go full-blown American-made, that's fabrics, that's trimmings, uh, all berry-compliant uh, components. And that means basically, essentially, that it's military-grade that the U.S. military would approve, you know, this being used if, if it was something they wanted to use. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's, it's basically, we went for the best of the best. My approach, Scott, has always been, I'm going to make the stuff that I want. I don't care what it costs, but I want the best. I'm going to make what I want, and then if other people want it too, we'll sell it. And that's kind of been my approach to gear uh, for a long time. And so anyways, beautiful four-way stretch, very rugged uh, fabric. Um, I won't say it's briar proof. I think a lot of people, you know, ask what uh, briar proof. I, I think if you want briar proof, I don't think there's a synthetic fabric on the market that's that's briar proof. I think, you know, a, a waxed canvas chap is ultimately the most, probably the most bulletproof fabric that's out there, but it's a give and take, right? You're definitely going to be, you're, you're going to be wearing that all day. Your hips are probably going to be a little sore by the time you're done. But again, middle of the road, four-way stretch, articulated knees, um, longer inseams, a lot of, a lot of bird hunters were tall, skinny guys. Now we come in all shapes and sizes. Don't get me wrong. 
But one of the things I wanted to make sure that we offered, Scott, was a full spectrum in sizing. A lot of times you see companies kind of fall into the, hey, we're just going to cater to the majority. We're going to do a 32 through a 46, and they kind of draw it off there. Well, if there's one thing I've learned in the handful of years I've been doing this is, again, we come in all shapes and sizes. And so we go all the way from a 30 all the way up to a 50. And so some of the bigger guys out there that maybe they their primary enjoyment of bird hunting as uh, preserves in different places like that, that might be the only thing that's accessible to them, but they want some of that premium gear or there's bean poles like you and I, Scott, that were built just a little bit different, right? They always say you can tell a chucker hunter because they got big legs and a little head, right? <laughs> you know, they say little brain in my case. <laughs> I should say little brain. That's probably a little bit. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so dialing in that sizing, um, we do, it comes standard with a 32 inch inseam, but all, it has a double inseam sewn into it. So any person out there, if you're a little bit taller, you're able to turn that out to a 34. There's just a seam on the outside you pick. It's going to let itself out. It's already pre-hemmed beneath that. So oh, that is, thank you so much. <laughs> that is brilliant. <laughs> it makes, it makes us nice for some of us taller guys, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Um, we'll, we'll potentially, we're going to potentially look at, you know, some longer inseams and some, some different options here in the future, you know, uh, American made manufacturing, I will say it, it's not cheap to do. Um, so while we, you know, we're trying to broaden our, our sizing spectrum, uh, we'll definitely scale and in, improve that offering in the future for some of the other guys that, you know, might be a little bit taller, require a little bit more there, but, uh, so yeah, po pockets, zippers, what, what do you got in the way of that sort of thing? Yeah, so on on the waist belt, starting back at the top of that, and I apologize, I'm a scatter, I'm a scatterbrain. <laughs> That's all right. What do you think of the Dodgers? No. <laughs> <laughs> so waist belt wise, you know, we've got standard loops on there for you know a pant. It's dual in the back. If you like using suspenders, I know some people do. You've got the ability to use suspenders with the pant. Um, but one of the unique things uh, about our our waist belt and um, kind of the suspension system that we've built into that it is it has a a loop a built-in loop closure so it has a built-in belt essentially <laughs> and, and we went with that because when you think about and again this comes from backpacking experience yep. right there's yep. nothing worse than having a, a heavy thick leather or even a synthetic belt on and then you're putting this padded waist belt on top of that right and now you've got you know, if you've got a two-inch buck metal buckle on that, and then you've got a waist belt buckle on top of that, you're creating pinch points, you're creating hot spots. And so building the belt into the vest, now you're eliminating a lot of those problems. And it's very, very low profile. We actually don't have a center closure button on it. And that's going to allow that to fluctuate with, you know, different layerings. Uh, you may you know, if, if you're, I think about, you know, I, I like taking care of myself, but sometimes my waist size will fluctuate, right? And if I'm going to buy a premium product, <laughs> I want it to not fit next fall or after Thanksgiving, after I get done eating some pie, right? So building in some flexibility there to really fine tune that fitment. And again, that's a reflection even of our vest, like the, the ability to customize and configure how that's going to sit and be comfortable for you. And then thinking through this again, cohesively as a system, right? It's, how does this pant function with a vest on? Not just as a standalone pant, but what are the things that I need to be able to do? If I have, if I'm out and I've got any strap vest on, 
how do I access my pockets? What pockets do I have access to? Um, so one of the things we did is we put, um, uh, I guess they would be essentially thigh pockets. They're fairly high up on your legs there. Um, but cell phone wallets, you can put a transmitter in there if you're training, just simple little things. But, you know, when I've got a deep shell pocket sitting on the side of my waist belt, yeah, I can get into my pocket, like my primary pocket off my hip. It's a little bit harder to access. So if there's something I need easier access to, even my phone, I personally put my phone in my front thigh pocket, like taking pictures of my dogs. Yeah. I have Now I have access to these pockets. And so it all works together cohesively that way. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I got it. I just got to break in and tell you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> these are, the, these are the things you wish some guy would do. And this guy did them. So, uh, you know, if you're, if you're hardcore and that would have been another good name for your company, by the way. Um, Thanks. but, but, uh, uh, you understand the problems, uh, that Matt is trying to solve here. I'm, I'm loving what I'm hearing now. Now those pants are available now. Am I right? So we actually, so initially, again, we're, we're a smaller company. And so what we did is we launched those at Pheasant Fest. Yeah. And we did a pre-sell with them. And that okay. was really to help us dial in our sizing curve. Mm. And sure that, you know, they're, they're pretty big financial commitments to be able to bring in uh, any type of inventory. And so we wanted to make sure that we had a really good understanding of our current uh, customer base, what size pants they were wanting to wear. Lots of people were able to see get their hands on them at the show there yeah and then we took those pre-sales and that was our initial order um and so those are supposed to get to us in the next month or so Great. um it's it's been a slow process american manufacturing always is it's kind of one of those things i i'll bang my head on the table because we'll have one conversation and hey this is what we're doing and this is the date and you communicate that to people and it comes back and you're like oh my gosh you guys are making me look like a ding dong and it's it's not always a fun process, but my I'm a firm believer, and again, this this just reminds me of, or even early on in Final Rise, like we want to do it right. Like it took us longer to get our vests out than we initially thought they were going to do. We've been able to right size that over time, but I'm just a big believer in doing things right. You only get one first impression, and I know we've probably frustrated some people with you know an additional month of waiting on top of getting their pants, but they're going to have them for hunting season. We do have excess inventory that will be, you know, based on that sizing curve. Now we can, now we can forecast beyond that and say, Hey, we think that these are the most popular sizes. And so we'll have that probably mid August and anybody looking for an awesome pair of pants going right into the heat of, you know, sharp tail season and early, early Montana and all the other fun stuff. We'll, we'll have those available for them. Oh, that's great news for everybody. I'll tell you, I'm looking forward to that. Um, we're getting short on time, so I, I, I want to make sure that if somebody's real interested in that stuff, that the best way to, to do that is, to, do you have a mailing list or anything they should get on? We, we do. So if you just go to our website, right. whether there's a pop-up that will appear there, or you can scroll down to the very bottom of the homepage, and you can put in your email there. Right. And uh, we'll, we'll make sure we get you taken care of and make sure you guys are aware of what's going on and when you can anticipate to see that okay without uh, having to kill me afterwards and everybody else listening um <laughs> is there anything you can tell us about uh even uh, more uh, tantalizing product for the future yes absolutely and this will this will come back a little bit to you know the name of our company and again not wanting to peg hole ourselves but there's there's two things that rise that i thoroughly enjoy chasing and you can probably guess what they are scott but mm -hmm. birds mm -hmm. and fish 
<laughs> I can't <So>. wait. <laughs> more, more to come on that over over time. Here, we're we're constantly testing, developing, and improving anything that we feel that we can, and uh, very excited for what the future holds. There you go. You know how to get get in touch with them and get on their mailing list. Finalrise.com. That's Matt Davis, the founder of the company. Uh, man, I, I'm I'm going to have to take a nap after this conversation. <laughs> You've worn me out, but that's a good thing because I'm working hard at getting in shape for yeah, maybe even an early chucker season over there in Idaho. So uh, we'll we'll see. Maybe I'll see you there. Uh, hey, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, glad we finally pulled it together. We'll do it again sometime down the road maybe during the season uh matt davis thank you so much for being a part of the upland nation podcast i appreciate you scott thank you again for the opportunity brother don't go away we've still got the handle it segment where i will talk about some of the forms of praise that i use when i don't use uh say a food treat or uh, verbal or something like that so that's coming up in just a moment we are brought to you in part by sageandbreaker.com hey good news If you didn't get the email on it, that's because you didn't sign up for their email list at sageandbreaker.com. New bore cleaning solvent. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from tip to tail, you've got something at sageandbreaker.com to take care of your gun. From the muzzle to the gun butt, there are all sorts of products over there that will help you, well, in the care and feeding of your shotgun. The range bag is also back in stock. All five-star reviews start stocking up on those consumables, whether it's their cleaning, lubricating, and protecting, their bore cleaning solvent, or anything else. Don't miss out on future sales and new products. Sign up today for the mailing list at sageandbreaker.com. And at truelockchokes.com, start shopping the over 2,000 different shotgun chokes available, including a lot of sub-gauge chokes. Get ready now so that you can take your new chokes to the range and get familiar with all of them before the season starts. The other thing I like about that site, truelockchokes.com, is they have a very hefty frequently asked questions page it'll take you to school from start to finish everything you ever wanted to know about replaceable choke tubes it's right there at truelockchokes.com you know thank goodness uh, flick teaches me well every time we're out there working together and uh, thank you jeff funky for the reminder on this one i used to use it a lot and i just kind of forgot about it for a while when you're handling your dog and and you're beyond food treats uh, and you're you know just looking for ways to uh, uh, encourage your dog that are slightly out of the ordinary, keep him on his toes and keep yourself on your toes for that matter. Here's some of the things that I use. The first one, uh, again, Jeff reminded me of this: a long, firm stroke down his backbone. Yeah, put a little pressure on there, and he will kind of push back. That's when you know you're doing it just right. When he's next to you, I'm using this a lot right now in the field when I'm calling him to me. Lots of distractions out there. If he comes back, I want him to know I appreciate it. That's one way to do it. And and he just stays right there and enjoys it. It also steadies him a little bit. 
Now, on a hot day, uh, water is a great uh, <clears throat> reward, I guess I'll call it. And I've always got water with me. Uh, so consider that a reward as well. And then, uh, depending on what you're doing and why you're doing it, and you've got birds, uh, sometimes the best thing to do is give him back the bird that he just brought to you. Or let him hold it for a little bit longer when he brings it to you. Because the opposite of that is, hey, I work so hard, I bring this to you, and then the first thing you do when I get there is you take it away. So consider that. Give him back the bird. As long as he won't eat it. And if you need to, clip a leash on him so he doesn't get too far away. You don't have to chase after him. Because, <laughs> believe me, that never works. Yeah, hey, <laughs> we're brought to you in part by Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, they are staffed by hunters, so they know what works on the range or in the field. <clears throat> Pardon me. Whether it's a new shotgun or instruction, if you're anywhere in western Oregon, you can always get a shotgun from them no matter where you are. And they've got a big selection of sub-gauge guns as well. So give them a call. Take a look at their stock at midvalleyclays.com. If you're in the area, they got a rental fleet of 40 guns. As many models of Browning as there are available, you can try before you buy. Or schedule a lesson. It's all at midvalleyclays.com. Well, thanks so much, Matt Davis at finalrise.com for all of your insights. And good luck with those fascinating new products. Keep me posted, if you will, please. If you want to learn more about them, it's FinalRise.com. And if you commented, I, I can only get to a few of you. There are hundreds of comments on that empties question. So check it out at any of the social media platforms that we're on. If you left a rating, I sure appreciate it. And I do appreciate the folks who make this all possible. SageandBreaker.com, PointerShotguns.com, ProPlansport.com from Arena, midvalleyclays.com and truelockchokes.com until we meet again i'll see you at finebirdhuntingspots.com i'm scott linden thanks for listening to the upland nation podcast